The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. LinkedIn presents... One of my heroes, Carl Sagan, once wrote that science is, at least in part, informed worship. I think what he meant was that the scientific enterprise and the religious enterprise are both about being humbled by creation and seeking to understand our place in it. Hi there, it's Wednesday. This is the Next Big Idea Daily, and I'm your host, Michael Kovnett. How often do you think about outer space? Do you stare up into the night sky and admire the countless stars? Do you ponder the vast distances, the light years separating us from other galaxies? Or do you ever turn your gaze a little closer to home, to the good old moon? In an era when exoplanets are being discovered all the time and we're sending telescopes into deep space, it can be easy to overlook our humble moon. Since humans landed there back in 1969, scientific interest in it hasn't exactly been cutting edge. But with new moon missions in the works and commercial interest growing, it may be time to take a fresh look at our lone natural satellite. Rebecca Boyle takes that look in the new book, Our Moon, How Earth's Celestial Companion Transformed the Planet, Guided Evolution, and Made Us Who We Are. Rebecca is a contributing editor at Scientific American and a frequent contributor at the New York Times, Popular Science, Smithsonian Air and Space, and many other publications. Here she is to share a few of her key insights. The moon probably enabled the evolution of terrestrial life. Backbone animals left the water once. They went back numerous times, evolving into whales and other creatures. But when fish left the water during the Devonian period, life on Earth changed forever. This happened because the moon dragged animals ashore through its tide and stranded them. In order to survive, they would have had to breathe the air and move themselves across the sand to safety to find food. Over eons and evolutionary time, the fish that evolved random mutations that could enable them to do this are the ones who survived. These fish, stranded by the moon's tidal pull, are the founding mothers of our lineage, the tetrapods. The moon gave us both religion and science. Religious worship and devotional practices dedicated to the moon gave us the foundations of science. I think these enterprises are a lot more alike than people think, quite alike in their goals, if not their methods. Both give us tools that can help with the profound difficulty of understanding our existence. We struggle with the finality of death and with eternity because it's hard for us to imagine being outlived, whether it's by our own children or the entire earth. I think the moon was the best way for early cultures to conceptualize these things, especially the ideas of becoming and birth, declining and death, and returning, and the everlasting. Science flowed from original quests for understanding these things. One of my heroes, Carl Sagan, once wrote that science is, at least in part, informed worship. I think what he meant was that the scientific enterprise and the religious enterprise are both about being humbled by creation and seeking to understand our place in it. The difference is that religion is based on belief, and the heart of modern science is the exact opposite. Not religious unbelief, but disbelief. A hypothesis must be something you can both test and disprove. 
If your idea is conceivably false, you must be able to demonstrate that it's false. This is the concept of falsifiability. So paraphrasing the historian of philosophy, Bertrand Russell, religion desires people to accept ideas and willingly believe them. Science desires people to reject ideas and then mess around and find out. I think both of these, though, are still fundamentally about discovering who we are and how we got here. The moon was a guiding light for both of these processes. The people who control the calendar control society. The moon was the first thing that we used to give people this power. In ancient cultures, managing the way we mark time would have given leaders control over things like sowing and harvesting crops, holding gatherings, celebrations, religious festivals, transacting business, so many things. Some of these effects can be left to the imagination, but for the most part, it's true that people had to follow the calendar, and therefore whoever made it. The moon and its reliable 29 and a half day cycle is the easiest and most obvious way to form a calendar. But it's really tricky to align the lunar month with the solar seasonal year. There are about 354 days in 12 lunar cycles, and 365 days in one solar year. So we have to figure out how to combine these things. Sometimes people invented traditions or new calendar systems that interposed intercalary months or weeks between these two things. The 12 days of Christmas is a holdover from this tradition. There are lots of different tools people figured out over time. And often they use tools to do it. And the people who controlled those tools or knew how to use them inherently had power over other people's lives. This is a more modern example of how calendars confer power. Election Day. It's on the second Tuesday in November because Congress passed a law in 1845 based on the needs of farmers, because the U.S. was then an agrarian nation. The Electoral College votes in December, but people needed time to collect ballots from these far-flung polling places so they could tabulate results in time. So Congress backdated the Electoral College deadline by a few weeks, which gave us early November. Men, who could only vote at the time, needed a day or so to walk or ride a horse to a polling place, so Congress needed to build in a travel day. Sunday was a rest day for church, so that was out. Monday was a fine day for travel, and that's why we still vote on Tuesday. But studies have shown midweek elections disenfranchise voters, especially low-income voters or people in states that don't allow early voting or that make it harder to get absentee ballots. It would take an act of Congress to move Election Day, or even just to make it a national holiday. Support for this is generally higher among Democrats than Republicans, so I don't think this will change anytime soon. The seven-day week is derived from dividing the lunar cycle by four, so in an indirect sense, the moon still confers power to those who control the civil calendar and the events on it. Thank you, Rebecca. I'll be sure to step outside tonight and look at the moon with fresh eyes. And I hope you listeners do too. Once the sun comes up again, I'll be back with some insights from another new book, this one called Madness, Race and Insanity in a Jim Crow Asylum by NBC correspondent Antonia Hilton. I'm Michael Kavnet. See you tomorrow.